Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Titus, the book of Titus. I'll spend most of my time today in Titus chapter 2 as we begin a brand new series and I've titled the series Adorned, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the, the team leave that slide up until I define it, and then that'll be behind me the whole time, that, that slide there. But we're going we're gonna to go venture into this, and I'll explain it in just a second. What I want to do, though, is I want to briefly uh, recap from the past two weeks. It's not been a part of the series, but it does set us up for where we're going to go in the series. And the series has been created, or the series was... was um, it was just a creation inside of, I would say, God's mind and placed in my heart uh, in light of what we've been talking about with respect to the gospel. Over the past two weeks, we have talked in detail about the gospel, but we have not done so in a way as to exhaust the gospel, like give everybody a, a foolproof Here's the outline, Michaela's, you know, uh, you know, rules for life <laughs> in shoes. I, I, I've not tried to exhaust it. I wish I could do that well. I wish I could, I could present that to you. But more so, we've spent this past two weeks uh, focused on clarifying the gospel because there are things about the gospel that we either forget about, we put aside, we don't like, there are things about God's story and God's good news that we kind of set aside because they're hard for our culture to hear. Maybe they're hard for us to hear. Uh, or we exalt things that we love in the gospel to the exclusion of other things. And so the past two weeks, my hope has been to kind of draw back to our attention those trouble areas, those areas that we tend to either want to forget or to calm us down on the areas that we make more of than we necessarily need to. And so, so over the past two weeks, here's what we've talked about. Last week, in no particular order, but, but last week, we talked about the gospel uh, being a very interesting thing, that it is paradoxical in nature, that the good news of Jesus Christ is also offensive. How many of you love that? You're like, what? <laughs> it's, it seems strange because we live in a culture today, we live in a world today in which any good news is is acceptable. It's, it's welcome in our lives, right? Because we're, we listen to the, the news broadcasters all the time. We're on the internet. We see all these things and we're depressed most of the time because it seems all we ever hear, all we ever experience is the bad news. And so when good news comes, it's this, it's this drink from the well. And sometimes when we get a, a barrage of good news, it's like drink from the fire hydrant. And so we're excited about it. But when we think about the gospel being good news and yet it's offensive, it, it triggers something weird in our brains. It's something that says that doesn't make sense to us. And so last week, before we talked about Kairos and all of prison ministry, we, we spent some time, I spent some time sharing with you that the gospel is offensive on, on a couple of fronts. Number one... The gospel is offensive because it's an exclusive truth. All truth, by definition, is exclusive, just so you know. But the gospel says there is no other way by which men can be saved. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And so it is good news to those 
who uh, recognize that they're perishing and want to have life, right? But it is bad news to those who don't even recognize they're perishing. They're just dying. They don't see it as good news. They actually see it as quite offensive that says, you mean I can't get to God any way I want? And the answer is no, you can't get to God any way you want. There is one true God. He's the God of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave his son for our redemption, Jesus Christ. His bleeding and dying washed away our sins. His death and burial and resurrection defeats sin. And his ascending to the right hand of the Father where he pours out his spirit on those who will believe is our power for this life. It is good news. It's mutually exclusive. There's no other way. But the gospel becomes offensive to this culture that says, well, you know what, I'm going to find my own way to God. Here's what should happen in the Christian's heart. It should grieve us. It should grieve us. We we shouldn't necessarily look at people and say, well, you're an idiot, move on. We should should have compassion on that person, and we should love them enough, as we learned a couple of weeks ago from Penn Jillette, we should love them enough to share the truth about hell, to share the truth about these these bad things, because if even an atheist believes that our withholding the truth about hell is hateful, then how much more should Christians believe that's hateful? We should know that it's loving to tell people the truth. So it's mutually exclusive. It's offensive. The gospel, the good news is offensive also because uh, it demands that all men everywhere repent. Isn't that challenging? It looks at all of us and says, you're broken. You're screwed up. You've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the gospel communicates to us. And then it says, but you, believing in Jesus, confessing him with your mouth, are to turn from that life and to walk after him. And so in this culture where my way is right, that's offensive, isn't it? My way is right. I'm going to do it my way, and you're not going to tell me what to do. Listen, I'm the father of four little girls, all under the age of six. They all want it their way all the time, okay? So it's training for preaching the gospel, because I'm used to rejection. I'm used to them saying, forget you, dad. I'm used to this kind of idea. But the truth is, that's what the world sees. The the world hears us telling them there's one way, and that one way is through Jesus, and that requires us to repent and turn. And that becomes offensive. Offensive. The other reason why the gospel, the good news, is offensive is because uh, God is no respecter of persons. Will you turn to somebody and say, God is no respecter of persons? Say it. Do it with a little less wagging of your finger, wife. Anyway, (laughs) Sarah's walking by doing this. God is no respecter of persons. And here's what's important about this, that God wants to save the prince and the pauper alike. God, God is not looking at the social demographic of people. He's not looking in India and Calcutta and Nepal and looking at them and saying, sorry, you guys just aren't worth it. He loves them immensely, and he died for them as well, and he died for you and I. And guess what? Whether you like it or not, he died for the CEO of your company. He died for the governing officials of our country. The truth is, he died for crazy people like Kim Jong, whatever. 
He, he died for those people. Whether or not they will respond is a whole different ballgame. But the reality is that the gospel becomes offensive when we think God wants everybody to be saved. Now, they have to respond, but he wants that all men would come to know him. And some of us are terribly offended by that because some people have hurt us in life and we think God shouldn't love that person. I remember having a conversation with somebody one time who said, I, I pray, he's, he's a Protestant, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the, he wasn't even raised Catholic, so he doesn't have any like preconceived ideas or anything like this, but he says, I really do hope there are layers of heaven. And I said, please explain to, and he wasn't joking, I said, please explain to me what you mean by that. And he said, he said I'm okay with Jesus saving people, but I have daughters and if I go to heaven, and next to me in heaven is a man who has been known to violate young girls, I'm not okay with that. So I hope there's layers in heaven because I cannot share eternity with that person. Now, you may sit there and go, wow, that's, you know, I understand maybe what he's saying. But what you should do is go, oh, wow, you don't know the gospel. You see, the response should be, um, to that person, and this was my response, which makes tons of enemies for me. Anyway, <laughs> but my, my response is, the truth is, you don't trust in the saving power of God. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, you don't believe God can reform or remake a person. Because you think that in eternity, they're stuck with that baggage, that past, what they've done. The other thing you don't realize is how bad you were. <laughs> Man, that's staggering, isn't it? staggering. The gospel can be offensive when it comes to these kind of things. So, so we talked over the past couple of weeks about the gospel. We learned that it's good news, and yet we learned that it's offensive. We learned that the gospel has a, a unique relationship to scripture. And these are just recaps for you, okay? So uh, we learned that it has a unique relationship to scripture. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting all that. Isn't that cool? So, so when you need help, Go to the scriptures. Go to God's word. It's useful for all of those things. But inside, and I'm not trying to make a canon within a canon, but within that instruction, there is a special message. There's a unique message that has one purpose in the word of God. And that is, although all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when I think about that, I'm more in awe of the gospel. I take a step back and realize, wow, it's important I get the gospel right. Because there are many other surrounding things that we read in scripture, stories and poetry and beautiful lessons and life lessons and all of this other stuff. And they're, they're amazing, right? But within that text, within that spirit-inspired book, there is a message that has the power of God written on it or flowing through it, and that message saves men and women. That is powerful to me, and that is why it's so important that we get the gospel right. So I shared with you in week one that, that the gospel, although, uh, although it is contained in scripture, it's not particularly scripted out in scripture. What do I mean by that? There is no chapter and verse in which you're going to go to find, here's what you should say when you want your loved one to be saved. But if you will sit in the scripture, you will see the difference between the gospel and, and the stories and all of those things. You'll see the difference because they're painted so vividly, it's painted so vividly in the scripture 
that it just will jump off the page at you. So it's not scripted, but it's contained within the scripture. And then the last thing that I shared with you about the gospel on week one was that your testimony, although valid and all vital, although vital and although terribly important, like Kim gets up here today and she shares a testimony of what she was experiencing. That's amazing. Testimonies are amazing, but please don't mistake your testimony for the gospel. And here's why that's important. Because your testimony, you could say like the, uh, the blind man in John 9, you could say like the woman at the well, you could say things like, I was once blind and now I see. And that is awesome. Like to, to, to glory in the God of the universe for making your blind eyes see again is amazing. However, it is pointing to who made your blind eyes see again that matters. So, so we've got to remember that the gospel has as its centerpiece, as its, you know, kind of pedestal moment, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not our experience. It's not our encounter. It's not our healing. It's not our whatever it is. Those are awesome things, and we should never downplay them, and we should look for them, and we should call on God for them, but we should remember what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It is not our particular testimony. Uh, I'll say this as the final piece on that. Our testimony may highlight what the gospel does in our life, but it just doesn't, it doesn't replace the gospel. Amen? Okay, so, so we've talked about the gospel, and it's, it's amazing. It's good news. It's offensive. Okay? Uh, the gospel is amazing. It's not your testimony, but it's, it's amazing. It's this amazing thing, and it's uniquely placed within Scripture. Today, and through this, the next four weeks, this week and the next four weeks, I want to share with you a series that I've titled Adorn, because here's something that I think we fail to realize. We, as Christians, have a responsibility when we are saved. And you know what that responsibility is? To adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing idea, and I know based on the looks on your face, it's one of those things that goes, okay, I, I might get where you're going, but I need you to explain it a little bit deeper, okay? So this is powerful. This is powerful. At the end of the message, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hearken back to a statement that I've beat up a lot in my life, which is the statement of Francis of Assisi, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and use words if you have to. I'm going I'm to beat that up just a little bit more today, but I'm going to do it with a lot more care because I'm going to explain it to you a little bit better. But the, the, the beauty of the gospel in all of its amazingness is something that God has called us as Christians to adorn. The word adorn means this. This is really cool. This is according to the dictionary. Adorn means make more beautiful or attractive, but that's not what, what we're doing per se, okay? To make more beautiful or attractive. And the reason why I want to caution you in believing that just on its surface is this. We don't add to the gospel, okay? So just like get this in your mind right away. We don't add to the gospel. I cannot make the word of God better, <laughs> Can I? No, no. I, I might be able to explain it. God tells us that the, the pastor's job is to rightly divide the word of truth. So there is a, a need for explanation. But the truth is its meaning was always there. It just needs to be uncovered. It needs to be unpacked. Amen? So, but we don't make the gospel better. Instead of looking at this this way, make more beautiful or attractive, let's look at the, let's look at the Greek word here, which is... Uh, uh, cosmeo, I, I think, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Why don't you say that wrong with me? Cosmeo, 
This is awesome. Say it wrong with me one more time. Cosmeo. I'm just saying I don't know how to say it, okay? Cosmeo. To put in order. This is the same word, adorn. To put in order, to arrange, to make ready, to prepare, to ornament. To ornament. Okay, so... The gospel is amazing. It's the power of God unto salvation. It is good news. It's not just the good news we see on the news. This is the best news the world has ever known. Yes, it's offensive to the world, those who are perishing and don't understand it. But it is good news. And yet we're called to adorn it. We're called to put it in order, to arrange it, to make it ready, to prepare, or to ornament it. And so here's what I want you to see. This is, this is the picture I want you to have in your mind. I want you to have the picture of the Mona Lisa in your mind, just the picture, okay? You've got the picture of the Mona Lisa, everybody's got it in their mind. Our responsibility in adorning the gospel is the same responsibility as putting the frame around it and hanging it in the art museum. That's what we do with adorning the gospel. Picture something else, this might, this might ring true-er to you. <laughs> I'll get my words out today. So think about a beautiful woman. You can turn to your right or your left and See, plenty, okay? So, uh, not Rick, okay? <laughs> Mark, you cannot. Okay, moving on. Think about a beautiful woman. Now, in, here's where the society goes way wrong in this. It's really important. A beautiful woman wears makeup for a reason. I said it that way for a reason as well. A beautiful woman wears makeup for a reason. She's already beautiful. She's already beautiful. Makeup simply arranges, makes ready, prepares ornaments, like it's, there's, this, there's this beauty to it. It's an accent. It's the frame around the Mona Lisa. It's something else that's going, my wife has always, mar, I've always marveled in the way she puts her makeup on because most of the time when we were dating, I didn't know she was wearing makeup, okay? I thought, that's amazing, women, just throwing this out. Listen, to, to adorn the gospel, to put makeup on the beautiful thing that already exists does not mean mascara with a trowel, okay? <laughs> just throw, <laughs> throwing that out there. No, no looking like TBN women, okay? No, this is... This is not adorning. Listen to me very clearly. This is not adorning. You're painting. You're recreating. You're doing something else. Okay, so for the longest time, I would, I'm, like, I'm like, geez, this woman is beautiful. This girl is beautiful. And didn't really realize she put makeup on. I didn't understand it. And she learned how to put makeup on in a certain way. Her mom does the same thing. They put makeup on that simply puts a frame around what already is, Right? This is our responsibility, church. We adorn the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but this is staggering to think about. God doesn't need your help. Can you turn to somebody and say, God doesn't need your help? <laughs> say this, but God wants your help. But God wants your help. This is a really crazy thing. You would think that God says, my message, it's perfect. It doesn't need any additions. It sure doesn't need any subtractions. So please stop doing that, right? It doesn't need any additions. doesn't need any subtractions. But guess what? I need you to help me. I, or I want you to help me. I want you to adorn it. Like, it doesn't need that. But he wants us to do it. And where do we find it? It's amazing. We find it smack dab in the middle of Titus. This is Paul's instruction to a young man. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Scriptures aren't on the screen. 
Anyway, smile. Uh, scriptures aren't on the screen. And I want to walk you through this ever so briefly because today is simply the, the beginning of this series. And I'll show you where we're going to go as I walk through this. Let's start right in chapter 1. We're going to go through it together. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. This is talking about the gospel, the, the message according to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word. Jesus himself and the gospel that comes with it in the proclamation with which I was entrusted. What was Paul entrusted with? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete. Paul left Titus in Crete for a purpose. Here's his purpose that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then he goes on to define what an elder is in this context, as well as we see in Timothy and in 1 Peter. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, fond of, nor fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. So that, and this is so vital and so important just for extra credit for you, this is the responsibility of the elder in the church. So that uh, he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine to encourage and teach and to grow and to refute those who contradict. We live in a strange church culture today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in which people say, I know what I know and I, we can all just agree to disagree. I can be right. You can be right. We're all just going to be right. No, 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 no. There is a truth, a truth, and there is a responsibility of the elder not only to teach, and this is offensive to the culture, even in the church today, but there is a responsibility of the elder to come in and say, that's wrong. No adult likes to hear that's wrong. Guess what? Neither do kids. I got four of them, right? Nobody likes to hear that, but it is a responsibility. Now, it is not a responsibility of just anyone to do this. There is a long list of the qualifications of an elder that would make it, I'm not saying always, but it would make it easier to trust them. Would you not agree? If you were to engage with a person who is, who is respectful and, and, and all of those, th basically not me. Anyway, if you, <laughs> if you are able to engage with somebody that is seasoned and, and just patient and all those things, it's going to be easier to hear that truth. Now, the reason that I make those jokes about myself is because mostly because I don't see very well of myself at times, but the reason I make jokes about myself is because I often feel, how could I be an elder as a young man? But Paul is writing to Titus, who is a young man, who's also an elder, and he gives him a, an amazing commission. You're going to see at the end of two, and so I'm going to try to walk in that in patience uh, and gentleness. So he says this, he says, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Verse 10, for they are, there are many rebellious men 
empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that should not, uh, they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Paul tells Titus, go create, go identify and build up elders because there's riffraff and they can't be leading. Okay, You must understand, there is a difference in the church. There is riffraff. There's a bunch of people who always want a position and seek for positions. And then there are people who are qualified for positions. Okay, And so he says, we want to find those people and we need to do it because there's deceivers among them. Verse 12, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul chimes back in and says, this testimony is true. I believe that he's not referring to evil creations and, and liars. I believe that he's telling you that what he's saying is true, that they call everybody else names, these, these immature ones. They're like, well, they're all liars. They're all worthless. They're all this. And here's why I say that. The next line, for this reason, reprove them severely. He's talking about those teachers still, so that they may be sound in faith. They're not right now. You need to correct them. You need to adjust them. They need to be uh, listeners and learners instead of uh, preachers all the time. Not paying attention to Jewish myths, this is what they were caught up in, and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. He doesn't say write them off. He told him to correct those people, okay? So anyway, so now we move into chapter 2, and this will set the context for what we're going to talk about adorning. He says, but as for you, okay, so there's something different here. As for you, I don't want you to be those guys. I don't want you to look like the riffraff. I need you to look like something else. As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, period. Speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. You have a responsibility, Titus, this young man. You have a responsibility. Teach it. Now, at the end, we're going to see what Paul encourages him with, too. But look, look further. He says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Next week, all that I'm going to talk about is older men. This is defined as husbands and fathers, even the widower, but the husband, the father, and the older man. But it is not the younger man which is set apart later as one who is not quite in those relationships yet and not you know, figured life out in some ways. So it is an older man, it is a husband, it is a father. I'm going to talk to you next week because Paul just laid out to Titus and I will be laying out to you the very way we are called to adorn the gospel. I'll... I'll Put an exclamation point on it in just a second. But we, we're going to talk about older men. We're going to, I'm going to deal with you guys. Now, wives, this is, okay, so here's a beautiful thing about our church. Look around our church. Men, raise your hands. Men, raise your hands. Okay, put your hands down. Women, raise your hands. Oddly enough, we don't represent the standard church in America where it's 80% women and 20% men. It's quite impressive. Now, this doesn't, 
I'm not trying to make a statement about a husband that has to work an odd schedule or, or a husband that, that you know, does other things. It's, it's fine. I'm just simply saying that we have this fun mix inside of our church of men who want to lead and that's impressive to me. And I, I get excited about that. You know, we may be like the, the church of Philadelphia. We may be few in number, but we're strong in what we're trying to do. And so I'm excited about this reality. So we have this even mix. Next week, I'm going to talk to the men. But listen, if there's a man not present and uh, you know that he could benefit from learning how to adorn the gospel with his life, I want you women or friends to gently urge him to be here next week. Do not guilt trip him, <laughs> right? Don't, don't, no, 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 none of that stuff. Just simply say, hey, Nate wants to talk to you next week. Actually, just address him specifically, right? And he'll be scared to death. He'll never show up. Anyway, so, but I want to talk about that. So he goes on, and then he says this, and this is not a shot at anybody. He's just recognizing a reality. Older women. Okay, older, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, so older women, likewise, you are to be reverent in your behavior, reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that... So that, here's the purpose of this, what you're going to find about Paul's instruction to Titus is Paul never instructs Titus to teach young women. I think there's a reason for this. I think there's an integrity piece. I think there's something about this. But instead, he says, I want you to instruct the older women to do their job, which is to instruct the younger women. So he says, so that the older women are to adorn the gospel in these ways, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Next week, older men. The week after that, young women, and you get the point. So, so we're going to talk about uh, all of that in week three and how we adorn the gospel. Then he goes to young men, verse six. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be examples of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. There's a so that in every one of these, just so you know. But isn't that an amazing description of young men? What would the world look like if young men, young Christian men, we can't expect the world to be any different than the world. But if young Christian men were this way, it'd be absolutely amazing. You see, I am the father, again, of four girls, and I am scared to death of boys. Boys are awful. I know. I are one, right? I, I, know, I know this beyond a shadow of doubt, so I'm kind of scared to death. So, so I am looking now, I'm just putting this out there, I'm looking now to arrange the marriages of my <laughs> girls. Um, so there's a steep, there's a steep bar, a big bar, high bar, okay? So I just want you to know this. Okay, now let's get on to the point, Nathan, because you're just belaboring this for no reason. Okay, verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Now, the next line is important, and the following lines after that all communicate that this is a teaching for all of us, okay, for, for all of us, including what is the gospel. Not pilfering, but showing all uh, good faith so that they will 
adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. This is not just an instruction to bond servants, but instead should be read because of where the punctuation actually lands in, in this, uh, not pilfering, but showing, but showing all good faith. So, adorn the gospel in all that you do. Adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ in all that you do. I'll further confirm it in just a second. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Here's the sum up. The beginning, he says, I want you to not be like the riffraff. I want you to be different. I want you to teach older women, older men, younger men. Older women will teach the younger women. I want you to teach the bond servants. And I want you to teach them all these behaviors, all these things and how they live their life. Because when they live this way, they will put the frame around the Mona Lisa. They will adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will adorn the doctrine of Jesus And the reason why those are interchangeable is because he's talking about salvation in that next line. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's who we're supposed to be, church. These things speak and exhort. He's talking back to Titus again, a young man. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Doesn't matter about your age. Just do it with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I think it comes natural, church, for us to want to adorn the gospel, to put the picture frame around the Mona Lisa. I think it comes natural for us to want to do so. Uh, I think we want to draw attention to the gospel of Jesus, but I believe the way we often do it is through just the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. But that has its own category. That is the proclamation of the gospel. To adorn the gospel is for people to see that this gospel message, this good news, did not just save us from hell. It did. It did not just save us to heaven. It did. It did not just save us from the effects of sin and death, even in this life. It did. But it saved us to a new way of living to a new way of life, to godliness and holiness, to good deeds and good works. We are called to live according to them. I think it's natural for us to want to adorn the gospel by preaching it. But what we have got to come into as a church is to adorn the gospel by living it, by obeying it, by honoring God with every aspect of our life. Because what happens is that if our actions will back up our words, if we don't just preach a thing, but we do a thing, if our actions will back up our words, the world, although the world might ridicule us, I believe they will, but although the, the, church, the world might ridicule the church, the accusation will not stick. The accusation will not stick because what will happen is they'll see your good works. They'll see all of those particular things in your life. They may accuse you temporarily. They may say, oh, you're a goody two-shoes. You're a religious zealot. You're this, you're that, right? But when the rubber meets the road or when they face hard times, all of a sudden they're going to think back on you 
the Christian who adorns the gospel with his or her life, and they're going to come back and they're going to go, that's the real McCoy. That guy's the real deal. That girl's the real deal. They actually are doing what God says. If the world simply sees us preach the gospel but not live the gospel, no such guarantee is made. No such guarantee is made. So here's, here's how we wrap up today because I, I told you it'd be short and to the point as we set up. Here, here's how we wrap this up. We wrap this up by talking about uh, this statement of Francis of Assisi. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Here's why I've never liked this statement. I finally realized it. Because Francis of Assisi confused two categories that we confuse all the time and we need to knock it off. There are three categories when it comes to this thing that I've explained today. Number one is belief. The second is confession. The third is adorning. Those are the three categories. You can write them down if you're a note taker, right? Confession uh, or belief, confession, and adorning. Make sure you understand these. Two are related to salvation. It says, here's how you're saved. This is what the scripture says about your salvation. That you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What's the next line? And you will be saved, okay? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believing in your heart is something really important for all of us. It's the deep-rooted transformation, new birth change that motivates everything else in life. If it does not start in your heart, it will not go anywhere else. This is why Jesus says the overflow of the mouth, right? It comes from the heart. This is, this is what happens. What spews out of your face what spews out of your face is coming from within you. So if you're a person who just constantly can't watch your tongue, you can't uh, be polite to people, you can't whatever, you have a heart condition. There's an issue inside of your heart. Okay, so Jesus says, number one, with salvation, it starts in the heart. Believe in your heart. You have to believe there. The next step is you confess with your mouth. This is twofold. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord that he's your savior, he's your king, he's everything to you. But confessing is also professing, and that is that you tell the world the hope that you have within you, right? You understand this. Listen, if your heart is changed, you will go. And if you do not go, you need to check your heart. If your heart is changed, you will go. You will proclaim Jesus' name. You may not do it like Billy Graham. I'm not asking you to. But you will proclaim the name of Jesus inside of your life. These two have to do with salvation. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Those who are saved are called to something powerful, and that is to adorn that gospel with holiness and righteousness and life. They are to put the frame on the belief and the confess that's here. Do you see it? Francis of Assisi says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and use words if you have to. And effectively what he has said is go into all the world and live an adorning life. Live a life that adorns the gospel. That's fine. But if you do not point to what caused you to be who you are, if you don't point back to the Jesus who saved you, people will, I know it happens every day, they will simply declare that you're a good person. And sadly, after too long, you'll start to believe it. You'll start to believe, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a pretty good person, right? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? Because they happen to me all the time, and I'm a good people. Nonsense. You are redeemed people, 
okay? You are redeemed people. That, that's the truth of the gospel. So here's the deal. Francis of Assisi's statement has taken the world, uh, the church world, and it's kind of thrown something out. And that is all that we're responsible for doing is acting like Jesus. But if people don't know who we're acting like, if we don't point to him, which is where the confession comes, it, do, it doesn't do any good, does it? No. We, we know this logically in our minds. Francis of Assisi's statement should have said, go into all the world because you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then when you're done preaching it, live it so nobody, nobody, nobody thinks you're a hypocrite or thinks you're a fool. This is what we're called to do, church. So over the next couple of weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. And I really want you, I'm, I'm encouraging you, even if you cannot be here, which I'm not giving you an out, even if you can't be here, listen, ha, 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 you guys just, anyway, okay. So anyway, so even if you can't be here, I want you to listen to the messages online because this message changes, these messages change the church. I know I say that a lot. But the truth is, I'm, I'm charged with preaching the word of God. It all changes us, no doubt, right? But this changes us from being a people that just believe and confess or believe and instead of confessing, we just want to act like good people, hoping that will teach about Jesus, which it won't, right? Instead, this is going to teach us to be a people who believe and who confess and who live because that is what we're called to. So next week, we're going to talk to older men. And we're going to look at this because I don't know if you're aware of this, but our culture uh, is hostile towards masculinity. I heard a woman say that first. That makes me happy. It was my mom, but still. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, it was awesome. But, but here's the truth. The world that we live in is hostile towards masculinity, and, and it's in a different way than we think. It's in a different way than we think. It is not, we're, we're, the world is not hostile towards masculinity primarily because men are jerks. It's primarily unfounded, primarily unfounded. There are idiots. I won't have you turn and say to a man, you're an idiot. There are idiots. So, so the, the truth is, church, that the culture is hostile towards masculinity. And I want to paint the picture of why we need to talk to older men about adorning the gospel first. Paul does with Titus and Titus does with them first. I believe in order for a reason. And that is, men, we lead. And if we're not, we're not being men. We're just not being men. Maybe we're something. I don't know. What, I could go off on a tangent there. But the point is, is that we're called to lead. So next week, it's about older men. The week after that, it's about older women and younger women. No disrespect. Older women and younger women. And, and the responsibility of the older women in adorning the gospel and what they're supposed to do and what the Bible says. Because here's another truth. We want to do things to please God. We just want to do them our way. And God says, your way is nonsense. Your way is no fun. Your way doesn't do it, right? Like, if we really trust God, here's what we know. We know that his message is the best, and we know that his method is the best. We just, we really don't believe that in our culture. So we're going to talk to older women and younger women. Older women on their responsibility and their responsibility to teach the younger women 
as well as just kind of in earshot of younger women, what those responsibilities are. And then we're going to talk to young men and bond servants, right? And I'm going to explain to you a little bit. I, I, I will take a moment to talk a little bit about kind of a racial component there uh, so that we can get past something in our brains in America, uh, or at least in our church. So not interested. So anyway, so the, so the important thing is, is that we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about uh, younger men, and we're going to talk about bond servants, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to give you this kind of general idea, okay, about what it means to adorn the gospel as we close it, because I, it's so important that I feel I need to bookend this series with what we're all about. Holiness and godliness is what we're called to. So believe, confess, adorn. Believe, confess, adorn. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. You have to use words. You have to use words. But after you use words, you also have to live what you speak. You have to live what God says. So for the next couple of weeks, I want you to be hunkering down into Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 3. You can go all through. It's three chapters. If you can't read that, you're just being lazy. Okay, so, uh, sorry, smile. <laughs> That's Nathan for you. Anyway, okay, so I want to encourage you to read this. I want to encourage you to plug in. I want to encourage you to give yourself to this truth because it can wreck us. It can change us, and it will affect the world at large. Amen? Stand with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you do for us in this life. You are good and you are faithful. You have not just saved us and left us, but you have saved us and you've instructed us. You've saved us and you've called us, and, and the calling on our life is just absolutely amazing. You have called us to such an amazing way of living, a, a righteousness and a holiness that, that makes even accusations not stick in our life. We want to do it your way, Lord. We want to believe, we want to confess, and we want to adorn. We want to put the frame around the Mona Lisa. We want to be uh, the, the makeup for the gospel that just draws out that immense beauty that is already there. We ask that you would help us, that you would humble us, and that you would give us the ability to, to learn over these next couple of weeks in the great truth of your word. In Jesus' great name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.